today we're going to finish chapter one in Shmuel Bet, and we'll learn the famous Kina lamentation, Ech how the mighty have fallen, which David writes to eulogize Saul and Yonatan and their heroism. Now, just a reminder what's happened up to now, an Amalekite brings the news to David that he saw Saul dying, and Saul asked this Amalekite to finish him off, and that's what the Amalekite did. And he thought David would be happy getting such news. After all, Saul is David's nemesis. Everybody knows it. And this Amalekite is expecting a reward. But instead, David puts him to death because David's greatness is that he respects Saul. And he doesn't come with the attitude, hey, that's what happens to those who go against me. Look what happened. He deserved it. God punished him. No, no. David isn't going to build his kingdom on Saul's downfall or on Saul's cheshbon. On the contrary, David sees himself as continuing the kingdom that Saul started. Because it's true, Saul, as the first king of Israel, he set a lot in motion. You know, he set the table for David in many ways. Kind of like the way Mashiach ben Yosef sets the table for Mashiach ben David. So David respects Saul. And he's going to show it in the following verses, in his famous kinah, his famous lamentation. And this kinah begins on chapter 17, and it takes us right to the end of the chapter. And again, it shows David's greatness, because with the fall of Saul, the path is basically clear for him to rule. But he's not thinking that way. He's concerned with the national tragedy, with the falling of the monarch, and how that projects to the world. So let's open it up in verse 17 in chapter 1 in Shmuel Bet. David et hazot al Shaul val Yonatan beno. And David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Yonatan. So you can ask right off the bat, why not mention Saul's other sons who fell in that war? Why just Yonatan? So either David didn't hear about the death of Saul's other sons, Malkishua and Abinadav, he just heard about Yonatan, but most likely Yonatan, he was the famous one, he was the natural heir and David's dear, dear friend, so he mentions Yonatan only. Okay, let's continue. Vayomer lilamed b'nei Yehuda keshet. So this is kind of an introduction to the Kinah. And he said, The sons of Judah should be taught the Keshet. They should be taught how to shoot the bow and arrow. As it is taught in the book of Yashar. There's a lot of uh, speculation what that means. It could be that there's a book that's not around today called the book of Yashar, the book of the just. According to Rashi, the book of Yashar, it's the Torah. Because it says in Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob blesses Yehuda, he says, your hand shall be on your enemy's necks. And there are a lot of stories in the Torah about fighting. Abraham versus the four kings, Shimon and Levi, Yaakov preparing war against Esau. So we see that the book of Genesis has a lot of stories about warfare. So David says to teach Yehuda how to shoot, as it says in the book of the Torah, which here it's called the book of Yashar. Okay, so let's get back to the verse. Why open with this? Why open a lamentation about Saul and Yonatan, which has nothing to do with Yehuda? Why would he say, Lamed b'nei Yehuda keshet, to teach the sons of Yehuda the bow? That has nothing to do with Saul and Yonatan. They're from Benjamin. And the other question is, is this part of the Kinah? Or it's like some introduction. Because again, why open with the tribe of Yehuda, David's tribe, when you're about to lament over Saul and Yonatan. So Rashi explains it like this. Because the soldiers of Israel fell 
שליחים בני יהודה ללמדם מלחמה, למשוך קשת. The sons of Yehuda have to learn war and how to shoot the bow. So David is saying like this, let's not have any more tragedies like this. We want to prevent this. And so, yeah, this is part of the lament. We have to be strong and learn how to fight and learn how to shoot and learn how to use our weapons as skillfully as we can. Why? So this doesn't repeat itself. David is being totally practical here. He's not saying, oh, it was Hashem's will that Israel will fall in war and Saul will be punished. No, David isn't getting into those cheshbonot. That's God's cheshbon. That's God's accounting. For David's point of view, he's going through derech ha through natural means, and he's saying right off the bat, we have to learn to fight better. So calamities like this won't happen again. And Rabbi Kahana adds that when you mourn over a national tragedy, it's not enough to cry and say Kaddish, but you have to try to learn from it so it doesn't happen again. You don't just cry over the past, you learn for the future. And you use this experience to prepare for the future. And you want to ensure that there won't be another Chilol Hashem like this. And the Radak says in this verse, Omar la'anshav, David said to his men, Don't get down about this. Don't get demoralized. So David is saying, don't get down. We'll win next time if we practice shooting straight and we believe in Hashem. So that's a really interesting way to begin the lament. He's saying, we got to fight better so this doesn't happen again. Now, just something I have to inject here. When one attends memorials in Israel, Yom Karon, or funerals of Jews who were murdered by Arabs or soldiers who fell, you don't get this message. All you get is crying over what happened. The eulogies are all about how much we miss that person, what a great person he is, etc. But we see already that David is conveying a totally different message. Because again, it's a national defeat. It's not an individual or personal matter. He'll get personal at the end when he talks about Yonatan, but that's at the end. Okay, so let's say that's the intro. That's the introduction to the Kina. Now we begin. Tzvi Yisrael, al chalal. So Tzvi Yisrael literally is gazelle of Israel or beautiful Israel. He's talking about every Israel. Al chalal, you lay slain on your heights. Ech giborim, how the mighty have fallen. So the pshat is, how can it happen? That Giborim like this, mighty warriors like Saul and Yonatan, how could they have fallen? And they were slain on the mountains, on Mount Gilboa, usually on the high places. You have an advantage. But this time it didn't help. David is lamenting, how could this happen? And that's the style of the kina, of the lamentation, you know, to arouse the teardrops. It's worded like that. How did the mighty fall? Next verse, verse 20. Alta Gidu Bagat. Don't tell it to Gat. Of course, Gat is a major Philistine city. He says, don't tell it to Gat. Don't announce it in the streets of Ashkelon, another Philistine city. Why not announce it? Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised be glad. So again, Gat and Ashkelon are big Philistine cities. Now David knows that the Philistines know about it. We saw they know. They're rejoicing as we speak. They got Saul's head in Beit Dagon. They hung his corpse up with his sons on the walls of Beit Shan. They know about it. But again, this is the way of the Kinah, the lamentation. It's designed to draw out the tears, to move you to tears. So it's worded this way as a question. How could this happen? Now what's interesting is 
that expression, don't tell it in Gat, that eventually became like a general expression for any time there's a chilul Hashem, a desecration of God's name, and you're saying, I don't want the people to know about it. Don't let this be publicized. Don't tell it in Gat. Many, many generations later, when the Shomron and Jerusalem were destroyed during the first temple period, it was a tragedy, of course, and and the prophet Micha says, don't tell it in Gat. And he wasn't literally referring to Gat, the Philistine city, but it just became an expression anytime the Jews are humiliated and we don't want the nations to know about it. But what's important here is the whole idea of Chilul Hashem, that Hashem's name is being desecrated when the Jewish people are defeated. Because we're God's people. And when we are defeated, it's as if the God of Israel couldn't save us. And that's the Chilul Hashem. And that's the key point that David focuses on here. Not the personal tragedy, but the national tragedy. That these uncircumcised Philistines are rejoicing. That's what he says. Penta alozna, but not erilim. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. That's the emphasis here. The fact that he didn't get along with Saul is totally irrelevant. Saul is a symbol. He's the monarch. And so when he goes down, it's a humiliation of the nation of God. And that's the tragedy. So, al-tegiru bagat. Don't say it in gat. Next verse. Haregel boa. Al-tal v'al-matar alechem. Har Gilboa, mountains of Gilboa. Al-tar v'al-matar alechem. There should be no dew or rain upon you, nor should your fields have trumot. So David is lamenting here, let it not rain on your fields, Mount Gilboa, so nothing can grow. It should be barren up there. And since there's nothing growing, there won't be any tithes to take. There won't be trumot. That is, it's not befitting after what happened on Har Gilboa that there should be any prosperity there or it should flourish. It's just not right that Mount Gilboa will be fertile ground to grow anything. And the Redak says, Let her have no blessings. And there will be no harvesting on it. Where you tithe the produce. No, none of that. And by the way, if you travel to the north of Israel and you look at Har Gilboa, part of it does look barren and dried up. Nothing grows on it. Just like the song says. Okay, now the second part of the verse explains why shouldn't anything grow on Har Gilboa? Why is it not appropriate? David says, because the shield of the mighty was nigal. What does nigal mean? They were despised or they were rejected. That is the weapons, the weapons of Saul and Yonatan, they were ineffective because Hashem wasn't going to let it work. Magen Shaul, Saul's shield, instead of Magen David, you have Magen Shaul. Saul's shield was as though it wasn't anointed with oil. So there's a couple of ways of understanding this. It could be saying that the holy oil that anointed Saul, it's like it never happened. It's like after what happened to Saul, you would never know he had been anointed. That's the Radak. There's another shot explaining it more in a natural way, that the fighters, they used to put oil on their shields so that the enemy's swords would slide off it and that would protect them in battle. But Saul fell in this war as if his shield wasn't oiled up. It wasn't lubricated. That's what it means. Saul's shield was as though it wasn't anointed. It was as if there was no lubrication on it to repel the enemy's sword. His shield was as though it was without oil. Okay, so that's the tear-jerking part of the kina. David's going now to give us some comfort by giving us a little national pride. He'll speak of the heroism of Saul and Yonatan now and how courageous they were. Verse 22 
מדם חללים, from the blood of the slain, ומחל of גיבורים, and from the fat of the mighty, we're talking about Philistine blood and Philistine guts, from the blood of the slain, and from the fat of the mighty, קשת יונתן לא נסגחור. יונתן's bow did not turn back. That means even though that Yonatan was going against impossible odds, remember what happened in that war, everybody fled and Saul and Yonatan were still fighting, even still, he didn't run. And right to the end, Keshet Yonatan lo nasagachor, his bow didn't turn back. That is, he was firing, he was shooting at the enemy and hitting his mark. Every time he pulled back his bow, he was killing Philistines left and right. They were falling in their blood and their guts and their fat That's what the verse means, midam chalalim v'chel of giburim. And Saul too was fighting and killing Philistines, right to the end, as the verse continues, v'chel of Shaul lo tashuv reikam. And Saul's sword did not return empty. Again, when everybody was fleeing, Saul didn't run. And he didn't fall in this war without his sword first taking a toll on the enemy. That's what it means, his sword did not return empty. And the praise of Saul and Yonatan continues in verse 23, Shaul v'yonatan, Saul and Yonatan, who were loved and admired during their life, and in their death, they were not separated. And the Mitzudat David says, that all the people admired them, everybody loved them. And then it says, and in their death, they weren't separated. You see, Yonatan and Saul, they were very close. They did everything together. And you see it in some of the verses. For instance, when David was trying to convince Yonatan that Yonatan's father Saul is trying to kill him, what did Yonatan say? He said, no way. My father doesn't do anything without telling me. And even though Yonatan was wrong in this case, it's obvious that he and his father Saul were very tight. In their lifetime and in their death, they remained together. They lived together. They died together fighting side by side to their last ounce of strength. Okay, so the same verse continues after saying that Saul and Yonatan were beloved in their lifetime and in their death, they didn't part. The verse continues, kalu. They were swifter than eagles. They were mightier than lions. And the mitzvah that David gives the pshat. What does it mean they were swifter than eagles and strong as lions? Hashem, to fight the wars of Hashem. On this, Rashi brings, let's call it the from interpretation, that they were swifter than eagles to do Hashem's will. And that makes sense too, because the Shulchan Aruch, which is the book of Halacha, it opens, be swift as an eagle to do God's will. It uses the same expression. And it also says there at the beginning, you have to overcome your Yetzer, you have to overcome your temptation and arise like an Aryeh, like a lion. At this point, I want to read what Rabbi Kahana writes, something very important concerning Kiddush Hashem, And Chilul Hashem. He writes like this, When the nation is defeated, that's a Chilul Hashem, it's a national desecration. Gentile seizes victory. He sees the defeat of Israel and he thinks he's stronger and his God is stronger. And the God of Israel is weak. That's a Chilul Hashem. But in that same defeat, you also have Kiddush Hashem of individuals. That is concerning the Am, the nation. It's a Chilul Hashem, because we fell. It's humiliation. But the individual Jew who fought and died, who sacrificed himself and gave his life, of course he died on Kiddush Hashem. Of course he sanctified God's name. So for the nation, it's a Chilul Hashem. But for the individual, he died on Kiddush Hashem. Same thing with the Holocaust. The Holocaust, of course, 
was the ultimate Chilul Hashem. Well, it was God. But every Jew who died in the Holocaust, because he was a Jew, he died in Kiddush Hashem. Let's go on. Benot Yisrael, daughters of Israel, Al Shaul Bechena, weep over Saul. Why? Malbishim Shani Adanim, because he clothed you in scarlet and crimson. And they have the word Adanim and all kinds of delights and Pinukim. And he spoiled you and he put golden ornaments on your clothes. So this is something, you know, you can forget when you read the book of Shmuel, because the book of Shmuel is always focusing on Saul's Meshugas, chasing David and all that drama that goes on. But that's the way of scripture to emphasize the problems so we can learn from them for future generations. So you can forget or you can overlook the fact that Saul was a great warrior. He was also a great king and he conquered nation after nation. And with those spoils, he provided for the citizens of Israel prosperity. During his reign, the Jewish people regained their national sovereignty from the Philistines. Even after this defeat on Har Gelboa, we're going to see that a lot of the conquests of Saul, they remained intact. But you hardly get that in the book of Shmuel. Like if you look at the end of chapter 14 in Shmuel Aleph, you have one or two verses about Saul's military prowess, how he defeated all the nations around him. But the Bible doesn't give it that much coverage. But the fact is, Saul, he raised the military. He brought economic prosperity to the Jewish people. That's what this verse is saying. So he's telling the daughters of Israel, don't be tova, don't be ungrateful. And remember, all Saul did for you. You girls, more than anyone else, should mourn for him. And the Ralbag writes the following. Because Saul was so successful against the Philistines, Haya Yisrael b'shalom b'yamav. The Jewish people had peace during his days. And the en and enemies did not attack the Jewish people during his reign. So Saul gave Israel the greatest gift of all, peace. And that afforded the Jews the ability to adorn themselves with nice things. Okay, so now after lamenting over the national tragedy, that's where he opened, and then he praises the Jewish national heroes, only now David gets personal and he mentions Yonatan. And he says like this, how have the mighty fallen in this war? Yonatan, on your high places you fell. So this isn't a question when he says how the mighty have fallen. How did that happen? This is not even a rhetorical question. It's the way of the kina, again, to arouse the emotions, to emphasize the sorrow. You say, how did this happen? How could somebody as brave and great as Yonatan fall? A gibor like you? How did you fall on the high places, on the heights, where you're supposed to have an advantage? Now, the Ralbag explains it differently. What does it mean, on your high places, you were slain? According to the Ralbag, it meant, Yonatan, you were at the peak of your strength. You were at the height of your strength. How did you fall? You were in your prime. And Rabbi Kahana comments here that David is also saying what it says in Kohelet. Lo lekalima meruts, that the fastest guy doesn't always win the race. Lo legiburima melchama. And the strongest guy doesn't always win the war. That is, it's all up to Hashem. You can be the fastest guy. You can be the strongest guy. Doesn't mean you're going to win. And you can see that because back in chapter 14, Yonatan, with one guy, with his arms bearer, he was able to defeat the Philistine army. But this time, he can't. Why? Because God decides in the end. That's another way of understanding how have the mighty fallen? That is, David is examining God's supervision of the world of events and saying, how have the mighty fallen? And now David gets very personal. 
Sarli alecha, achi Yonatan. I am distressed over you, Yonatan, my brother. You were very pleasant for me. Your love was more wonderful than the love of women. Okay, before we examine this verse, again, we have to point this out. Notice how David, he saves the personal stuff for the end. His personal loss is not the emphasis of his kinah. The emphasis, again, is on the national tragedy, not his personal tragedy. He speaks mostly of Saul. And again, he doesn't get along with Saul. But it's not about that. It's not about who he likes and doesn't like and who he gets along with. It's about the national Chilul Hashem. That's the Ikar. And that's why only now David talks about his dear friend Yonatan and his grief about Yonatan going down in this war. And I'll repeat that it's important because if you go to your average Yom Azikaron in Israel, all you hear is the personal aspects, how good that person was. We all miss them, the, his attributes. I'm talking about when a Jew was murdered by an Arab. The blood is still hot and the eulogies are all about how wonderful this person was and how we miss them as if they died in a car accident. I mean, if they died in a car accident, they'd say the same thing, but they didn't die in the car accident. They died at the hands of an enemy. And so it's not a personal thing anymore. And so we see here from David's lamentation where the emphasis is supposed to be. The focus is on the Chilul Hashem, the national aspect of the tragedy. Okay, let's go back to what David says about Yonatan. Tzarli alecha, achi Yonatan. Tzarli, I'm distressed over you. That's the pshat. That's the way it's translated. Now, tsar comes from the word tsuris, right? Sorrow. I feel sorrow. But tsar is also the word for narrow. When you're cramped in, it's narrow. So David is saying, I feel alone. I'm in a narrow place because you are my great friend, my only friend. And now that you're dead, my world has become narrow, tsarly. Like nobody's with me. I'm broken and alone and I'm mourning about that. And then David said after that, Na'am from the word Na'im, you made my life Na'im, pleasant. It wasn't Tsar when I was with you. It was spacious, the opposite of Tsar, with joy and great expectations. Now that you're no longer in this world, it took away my, my Ni'imut, my pleasantness and my Sibcha. Okay, and the final part of the verse where he says, your love was more wonderful, your tenifla, than the love of women. And now in these modern woke times, and people are distorting everything and they distort the Bible plenty and they want to somehow see a homosexual relationship, God forbid, between David and Yonatan because of verses like this. The reason that David says his love for Yonatan was greater than the love of women is because usually the strongest love is that of a man and a woman. But on rare occasions, the love of two men could be even stronger. And why is that? Because love is all about giving. One gives to the other. One gives unconditionally. Now, with a man and a woman, you have the physical aspect to it. And therefore, there's an interest involved a little bit. But love between two men, because there's no physical aspect to it, in a certain way, it's even purer than the love between man and a woman because it's totally selfless. Because there's absolutely no interest whatsoever. The fact that there's no physical element makes it, in a certain respect, purer than the love between man and a woman. And so what David and Yonatan had was something very special, the very opposite of what homosexual men have today because homosexuality, according to Torah, is a deviation. It's an abomination or a deviation which has nothing to do with love. It has to do with physical lust based on sickness of the soul and the mind. And therefore, it has nothing to do with David and Yonatan or any Jews who fulfill mitzvot who know that homosexuality is an abomination. And now the final verses of the Kinah. 
איך נפלו גיבורים, how the mighty have fallen, ויאבדו כלי מלחמה, and the weapons of war have perished. Okay, so now David shifts from the personal grief back to the national tragedy, saying for the third time, איך נפלו גיבורים, how the mighty have fallen, and he says the weapons of war have perished. Rashi says, what does that mean, the weapons of war have perished? So Rashi says, שאול ויונתן היו כלי זין של ישראל. That Saul and Yonatan, they were the weapons of war for the Jewish people. So yeah, the righteous fighters, they're weapons of war. They're the weapons, more than the weapons themselves. Because if they go in the way of Hashem, Hashem will bring the victory through them. So the people are the weapons. Saul and Jonathan are weapons of war. And so that concludes the Kinah. And we see again that David has only praise for Saul. And what he's going to do is he's going to build his Malchut on the infrastructure that Saul already set up. He's not building his Malchut on Saul's decline. He's not replacing him. He's not saying that Saul deserves this and he's starting something new. No, no. Saul was stage one. And he's going to build on that stage his own Malchut on top of what Saul already started. And we'll see this very idea as we continue in the upcoming chapters when David is going to try to now establish his kingdom.